Well, it's good to see you this morning. I'm going to share some thoughts from, I think, probably one of the most beautiful passages in, in the scriptures. It's an account, it's a, it's a narrative uh, of an unnamed woman that... Uh, I think captures what it means to seek out the Lord and give your life over to the Lord. I don't know, imagine living a life where um, you feel like you can't get out of where you are or there doesn't seem to be any help anywhere and that you are destined to live as you've been living, which you yourself are not happy with, but you know that with all the efforts and everything that you've attempted, it still did not bring about a change in your life. Imagine living that life. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, you find that there is a hope for you to have a different kind of life to where all of a sudden you begin to realize you don't have to settle for the life that you've been living. I'm going to read a part of a passage. I'm going to start off with our text that I will start there and we'll end up there. But there's a lot in the middle that I would like to cover this morning. A valuable gift given and then a priceless gift received. Jesus had been teaching throughout the various regions of Israel, Judah, all in that area up and down the coast, Capernaum, Sea of Galilee. And he had made his way to a town, and as he was teaching there, several things happened, and uh, there was a religious leader, a Pharisee, uh, who, from all accounts, we can tell that the Pharisees were very, very suspicious, vindictive toward Jesus Christ and his ministry simply because they uh, well, probably didn't want to give up their influence or their power. And so, uh, it, it, first of all, it's strange that, that in this particular account that this Pharisee, once he had seen and heard Jesus do some things, he invited him to his house uh, for a dinner or for a supper to break bread together. But like I say, everything we know of the Pharisees is such that it was not because he was necessarily interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. On the contrary, he probably or possibly invited him over to see if he could find something else uh, that he could accuse him of. You know, it's like the old saying is, you know, you keep your friends close, but you keep your enemies closer. And so this Pharisee invited the Lord over. Well, in, in the process of this dinner, all of a sudden something happened that was unexpected, uh, unexplainable by those who were observing. Yet there were two people who knew what was taking place. One was the woman who made her way into this dinner. 
she kind of, in a way, crashed, crashed this area. But the second one who knew was Jesus Christ. Everyone else that was there did not know what, what was taking place. So let me start with where we're going to end up. That's a good way to read the book. Turn to the last page, see how it ends, and then you can read the whole book. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus, and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Beautiful story. There's parts of it that at first reading may not understand but there is a fundamental question that jumps out at me, and I think it comes from just we know ourselves as human nature. And that question is, why? Why would this woman bring something so precious and offer it to Jesus Christ? She didn't know him. She had never met him. But that question is one that I would like to attempt to answer this morning. And I think that to answer that, uh, we have to roll our, in our heads th this, this idea that to bring your most precious possession that you have in the setting that it was as a person that you are, it really, really is a, is a huge sacrifice. And so I'm going to refer to this uh, why? Why did she bring this? First of all, the alabaster flask, alabaster, was very, very uh, valuable. And it was used, uh, either a flask or, or, a, or a jar was used to hold the most precious, uh, precious of fragrances, of oils, uh, things that, that you did not want to spill. It's very exquisite, even alabaster looks very much like marble. Even today, you can see alabaster uh, pieces of, of pottery that are just, they're beautiful. They're incandescent. They're, uh, and you only would have them uh, and bring them out on the most special of all occasions. For one thing, you didn't want to break the alabaster box. And secondly, you didn't want to waste whatever you had in that box. That's one thing. Why did she bring that? The second part of that question is this, why would a sinner, like she was, like we will see, why would she be willing to come among the righteous? She made her way into this home uninvited, certainly unwelcome that we will see and so that question is, why would someone do that? Why would they put themselves in that scenario? Why would someone who was bad, as she was caricatured, put herself among everyone that was good? Why would someone like her that was considered very, very profane, very profane, very sinful, 
why would she come and, and, and put herself under the eyes of those that considered themselves sacred? And, and finally, why would someone who had lived their whole life, at least up to this point, in a very private way, in that she most likely was a sinner of ill repute or a prostitute, or some, why would someone all of a sudden become public or put themselves up publicly like that? Well, to answer that question, we're going to leave the text and we're going to do what, what we call a prequel. I think that when we look back over some things that we know took place according to the Gospel of Luke, I think that's going to answer that question, why she did what she did. It all begins, uh, I'm going to, we're going to begin in, in, in Luke about three or four chapters before because it's very interesting when you follow the sequence of the Lord once he began his ministry and he began teaching and preaching and touching people. It's very interesting not only what he accomplished but how people perceived him. Luke chapter 4 says that there were some that um, once he had preached in the synagogue and once he had declared that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to, to help the poor, to preach the gospel, to free those that were in chains, the scriptures say that, that from that point on, the report about Jesus began to go out throughout all the surrounding cities and regions. To the point that once Jesus left the synagogue and began teaching and preaching, that multitudes of people began to search him out because they had heard of this man called Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher. And it says that the multitude would continually press about him to hear the word of God. So, so that was the beginning of his ministry. And then later Luke writes in this progression we see that not only was he very, began to be very known in that local region, but it was beginning to spread out, and not only who he was, but what he was saying. And it began to uh, you know, filter throughout all of, the, all of the people. There was one instance, and, uh, and I find it interesting, where four friends, Jesus was in a, in a small town, and four friends had a friend that could not walk. And so those four friends heard that Jesus was in this town. And so they brought their friend on a mat. They couldn't get in because there were so many people around the house. So they decided to climb up on the roof, dig through the tile, and let their friend down to where Jesus was. Well, the, the scriptures say that when Jesus saw their faith, he told the young man, he said, Rise up and walk. But before he had said that, he said something very striking. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, because of the people and the multitude, you can imagine. I mean, we know what it's like. We know what it's like today. With uh, we, we call it social media. But it doesn't take long for word to get out or for opinions or, you know, things to be said and pretty soon, there were many, many people that began to hear about this man, Jesus Christ. 
and what he was doing. And for someone to say, your sins are forgiven, that, that was like wildfire that went through there. As these um, crowds were there, they're not contained. They're not compartmentalized. Someone in the crowd went to the next one. They wanted to follow him. They went to the next town, wherever he was. And from word of mouth, from the multitudes, there would be someone who'd say, yeah, I, I just came from this town. I, I just came from Capernaum. And I'll tell you what I saw. And I'll tell you what I heard. I saw, I saw him forgive. And I heard him say himself, your sins are forgiven. And from one after another, it began to build as to who this this man was. The scriptures tell us then, Luke records, that, that after he had uh, told the man that his sins were forgiven, he then told him, he said, rise up and go home. And then he made this statement, I have not, I have not come to call righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. I can imagine that, that people would take those words and they would listen to them. And, and as they followed Jesus from area to area, which we will see that they did, they would tell the story of what they had heard in the previous town time and time again until finally people were beginning to really, really talk as if they had actually met Jesus Christ. Luke records also the time a little bit later in chapter 6. Whereas Jesus began to gain the popularity of people coming and listening to him, not only they wanted to see him, but they would press against him, trying to touch his garment, or they just wanted to see him, but they also wanted to hear exactly what he was saying. And I'm sure there are people in that multitude that could recount time and time again the things that they had heard at, at previous times when they had heard him speak. Another such time was when he had come and uh, the, the Bible in Luke records that a great multitude, many, many people who were from all, all throughout Judea, the scriptures say, all from Jerusalem, down the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which you're talking 40, 50, 60 miles of people that were hearing and following Jesus Christ, they were coming to see what he could do and to hear what he had to say. And they were just amazed at, at, at this man, Jesus Christ. I mean, they had heard stories, but then when people would see exactly what he had done himself and they saw it with their own eyes, the scriptures say in various instances, they were astonished. They were amazed. Those are interesting words. They were taken aback. Words could not capture what they had seen and what they had heard from this man called Jesus. I think that the words that he spoke in the, in the area that we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Luke records it in Luke chapter 6, I think the words that he would speak on that day again, carried like wildfire throughout the region because he said such things as, and you know, this is very striking, we still, to this day, to this day, we quote, we quote this passage, judge not, lest you be judged, condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. To this day, we still quote that. So you can imagine during that day of all the multitudes when they would hear those words, 
They would then follow and go to the next town and, they, and, and, and one would say, well, I'll tell you what I heard and I'll tell you what I saw. I saw all kinds of people come to him that had diseases, leprosy. He healed them all. And not only that, he was telling us, don't judge, you know, forgive and all these things. So in, in, in this, there was a buildup of, of who this Jesus was. I think from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they even probably heard, you know, this part and, and would repeat it. Give and it will be given to you good measure, shaken together, running over. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, so that was the, the buildup to, to where we're heading in our text. Then we find in chapter 7, we find where he had left Capernaum, he had gone down, and then he'd come back to a little town called Nain, N-A-I-N. Nain is a very small village, uh, but yet it's always considered one of the more beautiful places to live uh, in ancient times. The reason was because Nain was up on a, a kind of a high hill, but you could look up toward the northeast and see Mount Hebron. And now Mount Hebron uh, was considered, uh, you know, by, by everyone during that time as, as, you know, the sacred mountain. Nain was in an area of loveliness. It was beautiful. You could see... And, but yet it was a small town. At one time, it, perhaps it was an industrial place, but at this point it wasn't. So the scriptures say, as it happened, and that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. Well, there were some who had been following him from day one, just like they followed John the Baptist. But when Jesus came, they began to follow Jesus Christ. Not just the disciples, but multitudes, people. They wanted to go... And here, I mean, we see the same thing today. Someone's going to do a concert. They'll drive, what, 10 hours, get tickets and go 10 hours to go watch someone. Well, why do we think it would be so odd that people would not walk 20 miles to go hear this incredible, fascinating rabbi? I think they would. So the large crowd was there. And it's there that I think we find this woman. And I'll tell you why I believe this. When Jesus got to the city of Nain, the little town of Nain, once he was almost there, there was a, a funeral procession taking place. A, a man was being carried out and was the only son of his mother. She was a widow. A large crowd had gathered right there. And when the Lord saw her, the scriptures say, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. I think this is where we might find this woman on the edge of the crowd, not in the middle. Again, she was very, very private because of her life. She was not well respected. She was not well received. So she's not going to be in the middle of the crowd, but I do think that she would be like Zacchaeus up in a tree where no one can see him and she's on the edge of the crowd where no one will bother her. But yet she saw something and it went with everything that she had heard because as on the edge of the crowd, I'm sure she could probably hear men and women saying, yes, 
you know, he did this. He, he raised this man from the dead, which we, is what happened. He said to this man, young man, I say, arise. He arose. And people were, were stunned by what had just happened before Jesus ever got to name. And when that happened, you can imagine that the multitude in there and the woman on the outside just standing on the, perhaps in the shadow of the crowd, overheard someone say, well, you should have seen what he did in Capernaum. Or you should have seen what he did uh, in Bethesda. You should have seen what he did in Jerusalem or down in that area. Time and time again, she was hearing these stories of what this man had done. And yet now with her own eyes, she had seen that he did truly have the power to raise someone from the dead. Then, as Jesus made his way into the city of Nain, a little town of Nain, uh, he was uh, sought after by the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, the disciples of John the Baptist, we know the story. He had been thrown in prison already, uh, John the Baptist has. He was in prison, uh, but he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. They said, are you the one who is supposed to come or should we look for another? And Jesus said, and remember, all the crowd could hear all this conversation that was going on. Jesus said this, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind can see, the lame can walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the poor have good news being preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. The woman on the edge of the crowd, listening to the comments of the crowd, and then observing with her own eyes and listening with her own ears, began to understand that this man Jesus was something different. She was able to process, I think, in her mind he helped all these people in all these other areas. Can he help me? Can he change my life? And that's where we come then to our text. The text says that then a Pharisee invited Jesus to come, have dinner with him. And in, as soon as Jesus sat down to eat, this woman, uninvited, unwelcome, and unexpected, comes in. Well, as I thought about that, I thought, how did that come to pass? Why did that come to pass? And I think it's because of this, because she had heard, she had seen, she realized that in her own life, she had no hope, no hope of change whatsoever. But for the first time, perhaps, in her whole adult life, she saw the opportunity, the, perhaps the, the, the time that maybe something can be different in her life. She left the edge of the crowd, let's imagine. Let's imagine, imagine with me. She left the edge of the crowd. She went home. She gathered up the most precious thing that she had in her small house a little alabaster box with some very, very precious ointment. She had, was almost blinded by her decision. She was going to find this man, Jesus Christ. She grabbed that alabaster flask, and she made her way through the crowd. She began to search and search, and finally it says that when she heard 
that Jesus was uh, there at the table in the Pharisee's house. She made her way completely through there, walked in, the center that she was, in the middle of all these self-righteous people, and then began to do what we read. What did she do? She stood at his feet. Weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Why? Because she saw that Jesus, as the song says, is the sweetest name she had ever heard, ever. When she finished, the Pharisee who had invited Jesus there began to think within himself, saying, if this man were, were truly a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is touching him, because she is a sinner. Well, what he didn't know was that, yeah, he did know. He knew her. Like I said at the beginning, two people knew why that woman had come. She knew, and he knew. He did know. And then he says uh, to him, he said, Simon, Pharisee, he said, I have something to say to you. And the teacher, he said, teacher, go ahead and say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two, two debtors, two people owed him money. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely, freely forgave them both. Now tell me, Simon, therefore, which of them will love him the most? And Simon answered, said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave the most. And Jesus said to Simon, you have rightly said. He then turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He didn't say this, but it's fact. Do you see this woman? Because I do. I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me, Simon, no kiss of welcome, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You, Simon, did not even anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, which he knew, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he turned to her and he said, your sins are forgiven. Therein is the answer to the question, why? Why do people seek out Jesus Christ? There's all kinds of things we can go to in our society, all kinds of gatherings, all kinds of concerts, all kinds of things. But we only go to Jesus to have our sins forgiven and our lives changed. 
That question of why wrestled it, kind of bobbled around in my head for a long time, really. And I've come to believe that when someone realizes in their own that they have no hope, they can't change, and, and on their best day they fail, they, they come to realize that there's only one that can help them and change their life, and that is Jesus Christ. Once a person comes to that decision, You'll take that alabaster box that you've got and the most precious thing that you have, perhaps it's yourself, and you'll give it freely to the Lord Jesus Christ. A precious gift given, but an incredible gift received. Everlasting, eternal. You know, it's kind of like... The woman, I think, though she did not utter these words, we do find where this was uttered before in a temple one day. A tax collector gathered there, and his prayer was very simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This woman made her way with those words on her heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and her gift that was given to her was your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So, what does that mean for you and I in closing? Well, I'll tell you. The first thing is we all need to wrap our minds around what God has invited each of us to understand. Come now, he says, let us reason together. The Lord says this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white, they can be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they can be as wool. That's why we're encouraged as people to come to the Lord, just like she did, seek him out. Doesn't matter, we may have to walk through the crowds, we may be on the edge of the crowd, we may be ashamed of the life that we live, but nonetheless, if we can find our way to the feet of the Lord, He will give us peace in our heart. That's why we're encouraged to come boldly to that throne of grace that we too can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But to do that, we have to confess our sin because if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Notice in this passage The woman never denied that she was a sinner. She didn't come there to defend herself. She came there to find Jesus to change herself. She wanted a different life, and she got it. She got peace, and she got forgiveness. So for us today, it's like Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. By grace, we have been saved through our faith and belief in the Lord. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking such a valuable gift given, but such a priceless gift received. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time to be in your house and to reflect and to tuck into our hearts 
how precious it is, the forgiveness that you offer to each of us. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to rest in that. And as the woman was promised to find peace in our hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would be with our church, be with our church family. I pray that they, too, would have peace in their heart continually, regardless of what season they find themselves in. Bless, we pray, Lord, and thank you for preserving these things that we might read and be encouraged that we don't have to settle for the lives that we've lived, but we can have a different life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll give you thanks for that in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close and give thought and pause to what the scriptures have just shared with us. If you have a need in your life, then take note of this woman. She didn't let anything obscure or become an obstruction to her to get to the Lord, and you shouldn't either. Find your way to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will change your life. As we sing, what page? 387. 387. We'll sing one verse. If you'd like to come, please come this morning. We are one in the bond of Have a need in your life, something you would like to change. We are one in the Speak.